when Governor Gretchen Whitmer shut down much of the economy to slow the spread of COVID-19. She said that she would return 10% of her annual salary. Instead of paying uh, $15,930, she paid $4,917. Welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. If you haven't already, we ask you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss any episode of Michigan in Focus. Now here's your host, Bruce Walker. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to the Michigan in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are recording today, Thursday, May 12th, 2022. And joining me as he does nearly every week is Michigan reporter, Scott McClellan. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing good, Bruce. How are you doing? Good. Well, you sound like you might be just a little bit under the weather. Yep, just a little bit. Well, dug on it. That's just what happens when you finally get decent weather. When spring finally arrives, a bug comes with it just to cut you down to size and make sure you don't enjoy it too much. So Hopefully, I'll be able to uh, get some sleep so I can enjoy this 80-degree uh, weather. Yeah, it's beautiful. But uh, with 80-degree weather in spring in Michigan, we're also talking a lot of pollen. And uh, that may or may not be the issue for you because you're uh, uh, originally from down south, correct? Yeah, southern Illinois. Southern Illinois. Okay, so you're you're from way down there. And yep. uh, you probably don't have the pollen down there that we have up here. Yeah, I don't think uh, to the same extent. Yeah. Well, listen, um, let's let's uh, cut to the nitty gritty and uh, start talking about some of the stories that you've written thus far this week so that uh, you can tuck in with a nice hot toddy and uh, we're hoping you feel better before the weekend. So, uh you gave me a list of stories that uh, you are prepared to talk about. Let's start with uh, the governor who, when things hit the fan back uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, said that she would be donating a portion of her or taking a, a pay cut, essentially. And that didn't really come across as promised. So why don't you give us some details on that? In early 2020, when Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, shut down much of the economy to slow the spread of COVID-19, she said that she would return 10% of her $159,300 annual salary to the state uh, in solidarity with all of the state workers, or not even state workers, but all the workers in Michigan, uh, more than 1 million who were soon to be out of work. Uh, Whitmer said, quote, I'm going to lead by example, end quote on April 20th, 2020. Uh, So Whitmer did uh, make these uh, donations for three months, but instead of paying uh, $15,930, which is the full 10% of her salary, she paid uh, $4,917. And uh, MERS first reported the story. Well, okay. So, I mean, it's kind of a, I don't know, I'll go out on a limb here and say it was a political stunt. 
and uh, it, it was meant as a um i i share your pain i, I feel your pain um so did she just take a a cut off of her salary and leave the rest of the state or where was it where was this money intended to go was it to, back to the you know, state treasury it, it, oh, mm-hmm. back to the state treasury because yeah. uh it sure as heck didn't go to the unemployment insurance agency True. And, uh, you know, Whitmer paid this for about three months, but a lot of Michigan industries faced uh, shutdowns that lasted a lot longer than three months. And they went a lot longer with uh, more of a pay cut than 10 percent. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely true. And uh, I, I can appreciate that. Uh, so what do other people say about that? Have, have uh, her office commented on this at all? Uh, yeah, just saying that she, you know, did a good, good, great job that she wanted to, uh, give back to Michiganders. Um, but that was about the extent, uh, one critic, uh, Michigan rising action executive director, Eric Van Meglia called the, called the, uh, called it a a stunt basically, um, for publicity. So, mm -hmm. well, yeah. And, uh, Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I guess that that, that remains to be seen. But um, anything else to report on that? So there, there's a, uh, I mean, to to catch a politician, uh, maybe perhaps reneging on a on a promise is kind of the equivalent of Louis Renault in Casablanca being shocked because gambling occurs in Rick's cafe in Casablanca. So, which is a, a cultural reference that I'm, I'm sure is kind of flying over, over your head. But if you ever see this movie with a, with an actor called Humphrey Bogart, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's, it's got it. I'm going to have to take your word on uh, what happens in that, that movie. <laughs> uh, gotta love your sense of humor. So anyway, let's 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 move along just a little bit, Scott, and uh, we can talk about what the Michigan legislature has been up to this week. I, I was out yesterday, so I missed some of your stories. And um, I think the last story that you filed on Tuesday before I left to go see a concert with my wife and then I got up the next morning and I went fly fishing. But uh this was about the Michigan legislature. They, some of the um, things that they have approved and talk a little bit about those uh, from term limits to transparency reform and where you think some of those things might be going once they hit uh, the governor's desk, if indeed they do hit the governor's desk. So the Michigan House and Senate voted to place on the November 8th ballot a question asking Michiganders if they want a constitutional amendment uh, altering term limits and uh, also requiring financial disclosures for lawmakers. So both uh, both chambers overwhelmingly uh, voted in favor of this resolution. Uh, So the resolution would uh, override proposition proposal B, which is a 1992 constitutional amendment that limits legislatures to serving 14 years um, in the legislature. And the amendment aims to lower that cap to 12 years. 
Okay, well, and break that down because, um, as I understand, it's kind of fungible. You can do yes. how many years in, you know, two years in the, the House and then the remainder in the Senate, correct? Yes. So currently, uh, you can serve three two year terms in the House or two four year terms in the Senate. However, under the amendment, uh, if it were enacted, it would lower the cap to 12 years. So that would mean you could serve six two-year House terms or three four-year Senate terms or your entire uh, entire 12 years in one chamber or the other chamber. Okay, well, you might have touched on this a little bit already, but what, what is the rationale behind that? The idea is that uh, a lot of politicians aren't very effective. Uh, so... And, but they will still stay in office just because they have na- they have strong name recognition. So the idea of term limits is that if an if elected into office, lawmakers will only have a limited time to pass measures. But they're not going to spend you know forty fifty years in state government. Uh, often, how we see in United States Congress. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I remember as a high school debater way back when we used to talk a lot about how the unfair advantage of an incumbent simply mm, because it's very uh, true. They, because they've been on uh, in the limelight for two years, four years or, or what have you. And so the name recognition in and of itself would be, would present a bit of an unfair advantage. And then there are other uh, points that, that people make about incumbents. I know when I was working at the Mackinac center, some of the individuals I worked with there just said that uh, it becomes a lifestyle choice. But Mm -hmm. by the same token, I have uh, one very good friend who has spent, uh, was term limited out of the Michigan House of Representatives and then was term limited out again as a senator. And this individual asked me, Bruce, now that I'm term limited out, what what will I do? And I said, well, you know, you can do what the rest of us do, and that's go out and get another job. Mm-hmm. But uh, and not trying to be callous because he is a good friend and and, and a good guy, and I, I found some of his ideas to be rather invigorating. But uh, he's like, well, what happens if you're actually doing a good job? But the, the, the I guess the fact of the matter is, everybody who's actually on that side of the fence thinks that they're doing a good job and that sure. they will want to be reelected and then others will not. So I, I guess there are rules and then there are always exceptions to the rules. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's move along a little bit, Scott, and talk a little bit about the audit. This is a story that uh, has been doing really, really well on our website and you are the author of it. So I'm going to step back and give you the, the microphone so that you can tell listeners about this. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, Michigan's long-term care ombudsman program uh, failed to visit most facilities in person. Uh, that's according to an auditor general report that was released this week. Uh, the report found that the so the long-term care ombudsman program, their job is to advocate on behalf of about 100,000 long-term care residents in Michigan. But the audit found that the ombudsman had not visited most of these facilities in person for 31 months during the audit. 
So instead of being in person, the uh, this agency, uh, you know, they called, they emailed, uh, they used virtual platforms. I uh, it's probably Zoom, like uh, video calling. But the audit flag three material conditions, which is the most severe condition uh, an audit can have. So I thought it was pretty, um, pretty remarkable. Um, well, it seems to be quite an indictment about how uh, some of the state agencies are performing their task or not performing their task. You know, however you might want to paint that picture. But um, has there been any blowback from th this audit as of yet? None that I've seen. Uh, I need to keep reaching out. But what really, um, what really stood out to me is that this wasn't even necessarily a COVID problem, according to the audit. The audit found that 88.8% of the 4,275 total active facilities were not visited in fiscal year 2019. So that was, it was before the pandemic. So the agency basically said that they did not have enough manpower to visit all of the, these agencies. So at that point, uh, we need to, I guess, uh, decide how effective the agency is and either fund it more or, um, you know, fix this problem because their job is literally to advocate for seniors. Right. Well, it seems to me that uh, uh, maybe the House Oversight Committee might want to uh, put this on agenda, put it on their docket, if you will, and to uh, discuss this and, and maybe bring some department heads to task for this just to uh, get to the bottom of it. You know, perhaps maybe there is a legitimate reason, but even if there is a legitimate reason, is this a legitimate way to run a government agency, an oversight agency? And there was legitimate reason for some of the time not to visit. The state uh, shuttered nursing homes from March 2020 through June 29th, 2020. Uh, however, an executive order the next day clearly excluded the program from the visitation restrictions, and it appears that they still uh, the the agency still did not resume in-person visits until March 2022. Wow! And you know wow. when you're in long-term care, that's that's a long that's a big deal. Well, sure. I mean, I, I have uh, relatives that have been in long-term care, and. Uh, to me, this would not be acceptable in the slightest. Mm -hmm. And the the state agency said it was still investigating complaints, uh, but it just seems like this specific agency's job needs to be done in person because there's a lot of things that you can't smell, uh, you know, through a phone or through a Zoom call, or there's sure. a lot of things that be, that can be hidden. Sure, absolutely. So. Um, anything else on this topic, Scott, or shall we move on, move along? We can. I think we can move along. Okay. Um, I'm I'm following your lead on this because uh, I've had my my week somewhat uh, abrupted a little bit from uh, concert going and fly fishing trips and what the good what kind of you. disruptions. Yeah, they were good good disruptions for for once. For once, so um, actually, kind of happy that. But it, it, it's it's good to uh, good to be able to talk to you about some of these news items that uh, uh, you and I like to talk about each week. So let's talk about, and and this one is a little bit touchy, and uh, because it it involves 
tremendous human tragedy. And uh, I, I, I don't, I, I can't make light of this. This is something that's very, very serious. Uh, and this is talking about the shootings at Oxford High School last December. And perhaps maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the facts as we know them, uh, the, the shooter, the shooter's family, and the attempts from the Michigan Attorney General to actually invest, investigate the issue. Yeah, so the uh, the shooting happened late November 2021. Uh, afterward, uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel offered to uh, investigate the shooting, which the school declined. But then uh, Nessel uh, asked again. So yesterday, uh, Nessel put out a statement criticizing Oxford Community School Board of Education for declining the, the offer to investigate. Uh, the original shooting killed four students and injured uh, others. Uh, Nestle, in the statement, Nestle said she was, quote, deeply disappointed about the, de the decision and said that she couldn't uh, fully investigate without the school board's full co cooperation. So Nestle uh, said that the school was seemingly uh, cared more about reducing liability than providing uh, her answers, or sorry, excuse me, her parents' answers. Okay, so essentially uh, she's characterizing the school board's reluctance as um, a CYA maneuver. Yes, you know, covering, specifically- Covering their, their, their tuchus on this. Specifically, the school said that it was going to delay an independent investigation until after uh, the uh, civil litigation and criminal case, which as we both know, could take a very long time. Well, what would the advantage be of an independent investigation from the attorney general's office? That's a good idea. Uh, I think from her perspective, she sees herself as, uh, you know, independent of, uh, you know, she's not technically like on the school side. Uh, and I guess she has the manpower. But, you know, there's other other agencies that can also investigate and probably are currently investigating. Right. So uh, there are investigations other than what the police are doing and what the, the school board is doing right now. That's yeah, I believe so. That's what I'm told. OK. All right. Well, anything else to add on that, Scott? That's about it. No, uh, okay. the the, the uh, shooting survivors have sued the, the school, um, school officials and the alleged shooters parents for $100 million. And there are other similar lawsuits in state and federal court as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, again, it's a r remarkably tragic, tragic incident. And uh, it's unfortunate that uh, it unfolded to begin with and that it seems to be unfolding even further in the direction that it is. Yeah. But more to report on this, I'm sure. So anyway, Scott McClellan is the Center Square's Michigan reporter, and he also covers Minnesota. And I'd like to thank you for, for being here today. Thank you for having and me. You, your bet. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network, and you can find all of the Center Square's great podcast 
at americastalking.com. You can also find all of Scott's articles at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Michigan in Focus, I'm your host, Bruce Walker. Have a great week.